Well, good morning. I'm Julie Coleman. I'm part of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. Delighted to have you all here with us this morning. Um, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I already said that. The morning, this morning we're going to take a break to, from our journey through Mark to think through the implications of the resurrection um, as we celebrate this Easter Sunday together. So when Steve and I started our first years of marriage, computers were not a thing. I mean, they, they existed. My father worked for IBM. He used to take me to rooms with, you know, as big as this, and that computer probably had as much computing power as a calculator did. <laughs> but he worked on those machines. So he, he was always up on the latest, and he had one of the first PCs um, in his house. And then when he upgraded, he gave that old version to us. So we're on our way home from Connecticut. Steve was all excited we're going to have a computer in the house. And I said, what are we going to use a computer for? It's like a waste of space. And he said, well, there's a lot of things you can do on the computer. I said, like what? He said, well, you could store your recipes on it. I was like, we're going to have a, a recipe storing machine when I have a box that has all the recipes in it I would ever need. I don't get it. Um, but he told me, listen, you, you'll like this, I, I'm telling you. So, of course, you know the rest of the story. Computers have transformed the world as we knew it. I started by typing up newsletters and meeting agendas and things of that nature to print out on my dot matrix printer, if anybody old enough to remember that, which was, of course, way better than a typewriter. You didn't have to erase any mistakes. Um, and then in a few years, the Internet came along. Now, there's a game changer, right? Um, boom. Way better than story recipes, that's for sure. <laughs> And now, of course, we can hardly imagine life without a computer anymore. It was a serious game changer in our lifetimes. Well, today, we're celebrating the resurrection. And the resurrection was a single event that was the most monumentous game changer in the history of mankind. And although it happened 2,000 years ago, it still continues to be a game changer in the lives of those who believe. So this morning... I'd like to take a look at a passage. Uh, part of it was read this morning. I was thrilled to see that um, in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, that will teach us how radically different life is now because of the empty tomb. Because understanding the implications of the resurrection will empower us to live out our days on earth with meaning and purpose because the resurrection is a game changer. So let's start by uh, looking at 1 Corinthians uh, 15. I've got two separate passages. I skipped some stuff in the middle because it's not pertinent to what we're doing. For I delivered to you as a first importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. <laughs> For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. 
you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. So let's pray and ask God to help us because this is a tricky passage. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that Jesus was raised from the dead. I thank you for the victory that that claimed for all of us over death and over sin. And we praise you, God, for that this morning. Please help us to look at this passage, um, maybe get some fresh new insight on it, and that we come away from this place encouraged and enabled to live out our lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul wrote uh, that there were three components, I don't know if you noticed, of the gospel. The first was Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised again on the third day, or raised on the third day. So there's something interesting that doesn't show up in the English translation of the Greek, but Paul uses for the first two verbs, died and buried, he used the past tense. We're familiar with that one. But then on the third one, he was raised, he goes to a different verb tense, and it's the perfect verb tense. Now why that's important is the perfect tense, we have nothing like it in English, but it, it gives the idea of something that happened in the past that has a continuing effect on the present. So it sheds a whole new light, that perfect tense, on the other passage, uh, on the other two verbs. So we can look at it again and say, he died, but he's no longer dead because he was raised. He was buried, but he's no longer in the grave because he was raised. He's alive now, and that fact continues to have its effect on us today. Now, Paul continues to zero in on that last part of the gospel message, Christ being raised on the third day. And he provides a list of witnesses um, that, he, that saw him. We've got Cephas, Peter, uh, the twelve, more than 500 brethren at one time, his brother James, to all the apostles, and then, of course, last of all, to Paul. Now, this letter to the Corinthians was actually written earlier than any of the Gospels. So this is the first recorded list of the people who saw Jesus raised from the dead. Now, it's not an exhaustive list. For example, we know about uh, Mary and, and some of the other women at the tomb who saw him. But still, even just this is an impressive number of people who saw the resurrected Jesus for themselves. Now, the other thing is, is that emphasis on that importance of the resurrection, the people who witnessed it, when the Gospels were written later, continued. In the book of Acts, which is Luke's second volume of his Gospel, Jesus left the earth after 40 days after his resurrection. And when he did, he charged his disciples, apostles, to be his witnesses. Well, you've got to ask, witnesses of what? What's the message that he was supposed to be bringing? Well, we get a clue later in that very same chapter in Acts 1. They're talking about filling the gap that Judas left behind when he committed suicide. He was no longer the 12. They only had 11. And Jesus had said, 12 thrones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they wanted to choose another person. They did it by casting lots. And this is what Peter said, though. Whoever they were going to choose, number one, had to have been with Jesus from the beginning. They didn't miss anything through Jesus' ministry and teaching. And the second thing is that one of these, he said, must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So the witness was about the resurrection. The witness was, we saw him raised from the dead. 
And they're faithful to stick to that most important message. When we read Peter's first sermons in Acts, we've been studying those in the women's Bible study, the climactic moment in each of them is when he proclaims the resurrection of Christ. At Pentecost, his very first sermon, they're out in the streets preaching the good news, and Peter makes this big speech, and he says, David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. See what he did there? And then we've got before the Sanhedrin. They're brought before them on charges of speaking, uh, teaching in the name of Christ, and he tells them very plainly, you put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. And then finally, a second time when they're brought before the Sanhedrin council, it says, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. So why this big emphasis on the resurrection over the other two parts? He died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and um, I have to look at the other one. Oh, he was buried, and then he the raised again. It's only a third of it. So why is he putting this emphasis on that last part of it? Well, it was the ultimate game changer. The resurrection was the foundation and core of every gospel message. Everything else about the gospel was resting on the fact that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. It was what they were to preach to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. Now let's get back to our passage where Paul exposes several logical implications if there wasn't a resurrection. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there's six implications he gives us. First, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. So if there was no resurrection, the preaching, in vain. Now, when I was um, at a writer's conference a couple years ago, there was a guy named Chip McGregor, and he was giving us some kind of seminar on something. I don't remember, but I do remember his story. <laughs> and his story was about a book he had written back when the... Um, uh, the, the changeover between the 1900s and the 2000s, the big millennial New Year's Day. Remember, we were all so scared of it. Also, everybody thought the world was going to come to an end. And so he and a team of people wrote a book about how to prepare for the great apocalypse of the millennial change, right? And so they had all these things you should do about your money and this and that, and they wrote, and they wrote this book, and it was pretty popular. They got a lot of people buying it. But, of course, we all know what happened. Nothing, Right? So life went on. We all watched it with Australia, and sure enough, they were still alive after it was over. We thought, okay, there's hope for us, right? <laughs> so here they are now a couple of months later, and of course the book stopped selling after that point. But a couple of months later, the, 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 the team got together who had written the book, and one of the women said, you know, I'm not sorry. You know, I know it's not selling anymore, but I am not sorry that we wrote that book because I think it really helped people prepare. And they all looked at her and said, up. Uh, Nothing happened. What are you talking about? The premise of the gospel is that, or the, and that book was no longer worth the paper it was printed on, right? Because it didn't happen. Well, the premise of the gospel is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And without the, gospel, the resurrection, the validity of the rest of the gospel is severely compromised because one-third of the message was not going to be valid. The premise of the gospel is a story, a victory 
over sin and death. In no other religion do we see the founder alive today. Think, for example, Muhammad, the founder of Islam. His grave is visited by pilgrims every year. Buddha also has a well-known tomb where his body was laid to rest. But there is no tomb for Jesus Christ where his body is. The resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Think about it. Without the resurrection, the gospel dwindles into an inspiring story of a wise teacher who performed miracles and suffered heroically as a victim of human treachery. You know, that idea of someone dying for others, it's all over ancient literature. But the startling difference between those stories and our stories on Jesus Christ is that once his mission was complete, he came back from the dead. He showed power over death itself. No other ancient stories have that ending. That's the first implication, that preaching would be in vain. The second implication is, if Christ was not raised from the dead, your faith also is in vain. Because without the resurrection, the gospel is a one big hoax. It has no real power to change lives or do anything except deceive. It's the foundation of every part of the gospel. If the foundation is pulled out from any structure, the rest of the building crumbles. And the gospel would topple without the resurrection as its foundation as well. Third implication Paul gives us. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. The main message of the gospel was Christ's resurrection. We've already seen this from the beginning of Acts. You know, with uh, writing or speaking, my husband has taught me some great lessons as I've gone along. Um, and one thing that he taught me early on with great vigor <laughs> as he edited my work was that I had to check every single fact, every single assertion I needed to make sure that I could prove. Nothing could be off the top of my head. And especially that happens when you're giving an illustration. If you're claiming it to be real history and you find out it's not, then what happens? Everybody else... Every, everybody looks at those and says, well, she got that wrong. How can we trust her for the rest of the, what she's saying about Scripture? So it's really, really important not to do that. I found a challenge with, um, and it's a story you probably have all familiar with, about the missionaries that were out in the bush somewhere, different um, continents, countries, whatever, depending on who's telling the story. But they were about to be murdered by the tribe. The tribe had all gathered near the house. They're ready to go in, and they saw this um, band of, of angels with flaming spears standing guard around their hut. Now they didn't see it, but the natives did. And when they didn't come in and kill them, the next day, or later on, the, the missionary asked the chief, why didn't you kill us that night? And he said, well, you had your army around you. Now, have you all heard that story? Me too. I love that story. And so I started, I put it in something that I'd written, and Steve said, well, did you check that out? I said, well, everybody knows that story. He said, did you check it out? So I said, okay. So I went and I started looking and looking, and I'm, as I'm researching and researching, everybody's quoting each other. There's no original source for anything. The mo closest I could get was Billy Graham's book on angels, which does have a page which actually gives the name of the missionaries in the country that they were in. But, you know, he doesn't give a source other than that either. <laughs> so it's hard to say, is it, was it a true story or not? You know what I did? I didn't use it. Because if sometime somebody was able to disprove that story, if it wasn't true, and I wasn't sure it was, I hope it was, 
But if it wasn't true, then it would, it would discredit anything else that was in the book or the article that I was writing. So I chose not to use it. When you get one thing wrong, it throws everything else you say or write into doubt. So if the resurrection was not valid, it discredited everything else that they preached. Christ paying for the sin of the world, that faith alone would save. So much of the rest of the story would be based on a lie, a false testimony. If there was no resurrection, the witnesses would actually be false witnesses. Fourth um, implication, if there's no resurrection, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Now I read that, that little one and I thought, wait a minute. He died for our sins on the cross. How would the resurrection be contingent on me having a, a, a saving faith? Because sins were paid for. So I looked into a little bit. In Romans, Paul tells us that Jesus was raised for our justification. It says, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Well, justification, that's a seminary word. What does it mean? Well, it's a legal term. It's used in the courts, and it's when a judge declares a person's legal debt paid in full. In this case, it's the act of God declaring men were absolved from guilt and acceptable to him. Christ raising from the dead was a confirmation that that process was complete. Now, this is what happens when a person in our court system completes the requirement that pays for a crime. The official documentation that the debt was paid in full is brought to a judge, and the judge signs off on it, confirming the fact that he has, the debt has been paid and he sets the prisoner free. He walks out of the courthouse a free man. Well, without the resurrection, Jesus would only be condemned, not justified. So how could he justify others? We'd still be in our sin. He had to rise again. And in that act, the requirements were complete. Fifth implication, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They've fallen asleep, they're dead, right? Without the hope of anything more, those people are dead in the grave, stuck in death. Paul calls the resurrection in, in verse 20 the first fruits of those who are asleep. The first fruits are the first to be harvested, a symbol of the harvest to come. And it says, for since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. If Christ was not raised, then none of us are going to be raised. We would be confined to the grave for eternity. The resurrection of Christ, it's a pledge, a promise to those in Christ who come after him. It's proof of the certain resurrection of his people. And the last implication, he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection, this whole thing called Christianity is a big fraud. Christians have been duped. The world would be right. The cross is foolishness. We are to be pitied, wasting our life following someone or something that's just an illusion, living for a lie. Without the resurrection, hope can't exist. What we see, it's all there is. And life is meaningless and nothing matters. So what? What difference then does this writing in Paul's and the resurrection make for us today? Remember, Paul's main idea was if Christ had not been raised, 
Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is worthless. You are still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep have perished, and we are of men most to be pitied. But because we know that Jesus did rise from the dead, we can take Paul's statements and flip them around to the positive implications of the reality. So first of all, rather than the preaching in vain and faith is in vain, Christ is risen. So the opposite implication is true. Our faith is well-founded. This is some, there is someone we can trust, absolutely. He proved his love for us by giving his own suffering in our place, paying the debt we could not pay, but the grave could not keep him. His resurrection proved his power over every conceivable enemy, sin, death, and Satan. We've trusted in the one who willingly gave his life and had power to overcome death. Our faith is well-founded. Secondly, rather than still being in our sins, we are forgiven. We have peace with God. The resurrection was God's announcement that the payment was made in full, complete. There was nothing more to be done. The resurrection confirms that the debt was paid. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He now lives again. Ephesians tells us that he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Now a high priest tells us in Hebrews, he doesn't sit at all. He's upstanding, sacrificing, sacrificing, sacrificing. But Jesus, the high priest, made that one sacrifice and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because it was finished. There was nothing left to do. And so he sat. Justification is complete. And we can't outsin his payment. It covers it all. Romans 5.21 says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rather than those that are dead, being stuck in the grave, Paul tells us that they're alive in him. He says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians, he says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. The Bible clearly teaches, once you're dead, your body is dead, your soul is with the Lord. So we don't grieve as the world leaves when a loved one who's a believer passes away. We don't need to fear death for ourselves either. I just visited a friend in the hospital a couple days ago. She had a lung removed from cancer. She's my age. Horrible. I said to her, so tell me what went through your mind when you heard the, the um, diagnosis. Did you freak out? Were you, you know? And she said, you know, I didn't. She said, I'm really glad the Lord's letting me live. <laughs> because they got all the cancer in the lung. She said, but I was ready to go now. That's what the resurrection does for us. So the, and the last thing is we are, instead of rather being pitied of all people, we are to be envied of all people, because we have hope. Our life has purpose, because we're living for a cause which has already proved victorious. We put all our eggs in the right basket. Pardon the Easter pun. <laughs> Knowing what we know, every moment of every day has meaning. We love the God who saved us, and our response to his abundant love 
and grace is to extend that overflow into others. Because there's no satisfaction in this life greater than resting in him. And someone who lives with that kind of hope is a person to be envied. So I'd like to leave you a story in closing with, uh, that rocked the sports world almost 100 years ago. In October 1919, <clears throat> the Cincinnati Reds defeated the heavily favored Chicago White Sox. It was a very unlikely victory, and so it was, it, it was a little suspect if they would so unexpectedly defeat the reigning champs. So in the months after the upset, it came to light that uh, gamblers had paid off several White Sox players to intentionally lose enough games to lose the pennant. Eight so-called now Black Sox, including the great shoeless Joe Jackson, were later put on trial for conspiracy and banned for baseball to life. Now, before the first pitch in that series was thrown, bookies, for gambling purposes, had the Sox winning the World Series over Cincinnati by as much as three to one. But the odds started shifting after the gamblers, who had heard rumors of a fix, started betting heaps of cash on the Reds. Because if you were in the know, it was a no-risk situation because the winner had been prearranged. And so they threw money at the bookies, confident that they would win big. Being in the know was the game changer. Well, we know the end game as well. Christ is risen. Death will not be the end for anyone who believes. As Paul wrote in the, later in the chapter, O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The resurrection is a game changer. It gives meaning to our lives here and now, and it's God's assurance of an eternal future with him.